I wouldn't wish it upon anyone to do the job that I do. Um, it can be very difficult. Things can break and crises can happen and that can happen with any company. But when it happens to us, you know, we're not just talking about an email browser not working or like a project management software not loading. We're talking about a you know, person who's just gone through the most traumatic moment of their life, not being able to access resources. So I think the stakes are a lot higher. And wow. I think I didn't realize that when I first started the company is how high the stakes are. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by Jay Ventures a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley in partnership with Leumi Tech, sponsored by Hippo Insurance, Opwest Labs, Turing, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, and in media partnership with C-Tech. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Today, we're going to be meeting an entrepreneur that is channeling her own personal traumatic experience into a company that is going to help a lot of people. Meet Madison Campbell, the CEO of Lita Health. Madison is a trailblazer and sexual assault advocate After going to college to study epidemiology and space populations, Madison has become a well-seasoned entrepreneur. She led a company prior to Lida Health called Lianu, which was a software development shop based in Lagos, Nigeria. Today, she's working hard to promote the autonomy and self-actualization of the sexual assault survivors through Lida Health by developing and providing resources to help them overcome their difficult trauma. Madison Campbell, welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. How are you? I'm doing amazing. I mean, as amazing as I possibly could on a Monday. Um, but um, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> no, no, no. Thank, thank you for coming here. Uh, you know, right before we, we, we started this recording, I mentioned to you that, you know, one of my goals through the show is to understand better why people are doing what they're doing and what, with what conviction do they come into the companies they're building. And obviously here, uh, it's, it's going to be, um, I think, a, a really inspiring way for me to understand better the con- this conviction that people are coming with. Uh, you're a young sexual assault advocate and survivor, and today you're uh, running Lita Health, previously the Me Too Kits. But also, I'm, I'm curious to hear both, you know, your personal journey, but, but also understand better you know, the gaps in what's happening today. We're in 2021. We seem to be resolving a lot of the issues that we've been seeing over the last hundreds of years. But I think that you, you're describing here an issue that is, has been unspoken about for a long, long time. And I'm excited to, to, to learn more about it from you. So Madison, tell me a little bit about your own journey and, and how Lita Health came about. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's a lot of founding journeys um, and you know, for me, mine started in a very highly um, personal space of actually experiencing trauma myself. And I believe that a lot of our, you know, other folks in our company have experienced trauma, whether it is sexual trauma or other trauma. I think everyone experiences trauma in their life. And I think everyone kind of has a decision that they can make, which is, am I going to take this trauma and is it going to impact me and I'm not going to be able to move forward with it? Or am I going to be able to take it in and create something better because of it? Um, And so with that being said, you know, I decided to take my trauma and turn it into a company, which is one way of, you know, dealing with it. Probably um, a better way would have been therapy, but um, I decided to, you know, build a company around that and, um, you know, really examine the issue of sexual assault um, to start off with, because it is something that is highly personable to me. But, you know, in examining sexual assault, I think where I've really come and and what I've really been looking at is just the problems plaguing, 
you know, young folks, right? College age folks. And sexual assault, unfortunately, is, you know, a humongous problem um, that I don't believe we've uh, tackled quite yet. Um, but, you know, that doesn't mean that we can't eventually expand into other problems, which are very, very difficult to tackle and that um, are sometimes very scary to talk about. Right. And so what, what do we know, you know, in at least or in the United States or the world, what do we know about sexual assault today? You know, thinking about the problem space, you know, as, as, as a market, it's obviously not a market, but, but thinking about it, it is, the it is a market. Bit, what, right? what is going on? I mean, it, it, you can actually, it's, it's totally fine to say it's a market, right? Because, you know, when one in four women will be sexually assaulted during their four years in college, um, one in four. Yeah, one in four. So you have a 25% chance, um, you know, during during your college years of being sexually assaulted. I, I believe that's a market, um, you know, and that's just in those college years. One in five women during their lifetime will be sexually assaulted. I believe the statistic for men is one in six, um, you know, amongst um, a very, very high percentage of folks that are in, um, you know, BIPOC or LGBTQ communities um, and even the transgender community, which sees a huge amount of sexual assault um, happen. Um, I, you know, it, it's astounding how much, um, you know, really occurs. And, you know, a lot of that is under the age of 25, right? And so that's something that is impacting you, you know, kind of as a young person that, you know, for the rest of your life, you kind of have to say, you know, what am I doing moving forward? How is this going to impact me? Um, how is this going to impact future relationships? Um, and even confidence in the workspace, right? Right. And so Lita Health, I, w- I want to fast forward a little bit. And I'm going to do a little bit of a ping pong yeah. here to try and understand, you know, the founding, the founding journey here. What, what does Lita Health do today? So right now we're a holistic platform for um, everything after the sexual assault. So um, as much as, you know, we want to kind of eventually be in prevention, you know, the first thing that we kind of examined is um, getting support after a sexual assault can be very difficult. Um, and it can often feel like, you know, no, you can't trust anybody. You don't know who to trust. You don't know what resources are out there. And so Lita is really building a company around everything, like I said, after the assault. So starting with at-home evidence collection kits, but going into mental health and medical care as well, whether that's offering free STD testing or free plan B. Um, basically anything after a sexual assault, we're here for you. Um, and, you know, we want to be that community when you feel like no one else um, really understands what you're going through. Right. And so now going back a little bit, the founding of, of Lita Health, you're, you started with, with the Me Too kits, right? And can you tell me a little bit about your decision to start a company in this space? What was it immediately after you you went through the you know the, the event, or was it you know did, did this come after after a lot of thought? Yeah, I mean, it definitely wasn't like I was sexually assaulted. Then I woke up the next day saying perfect business opportunity, but it was you know years of um, really examining the trauma that I had gone through, but not just my trauma in examining, um, you know, friends of mine's trauma and understanding that what happened to me was not a unique experience. It was something that happened to a lot of other folks. You know, their stories oftentimes were worse than the story that I went through. And, you know, the one thing that all came together um, in those stories was, you know, they felt like there was a lack of resources and they felt like there was a lack of community. 
And even though there are very, you know, traditional resources out there, sometimes schools can offer resources and sometimes nonprofits can offer resources. Um, I was astounded by, you know, the sheer lack of all the survivors that I met not wanting to access those resources for privacy concerns um, or not wanting to access them because they couldn't access them in the comfort of their own home via telehealth, right? Um, and so that's kind of what made me want to, you know, build a company around that. Um, I think most founders want to look at a problem statement. Um, and once they see that problem statement, you know, try to build things that can hopefully help that. Right. And, and so what was that experience like actually starting a company in this space? You know, what is the reaction that you're getting? How are you bringing people on board? What is the vibe like with the team as you're working on such a meaningful problem? I mean, I think the team that we have now, I, we've had lots of people that have come in and out of Lita, whether it's for three months or two years. Um, we've been around for like two years now. Um, I, I think the vibe of the folks that we work with are, you know, generally people that every single day they want to wake up and they want to talk about this problem and they want to, you know, move the needle forward, even if it's just, you know, a, a very, very small amount. Um, so I'm, I'm really lucky to work with so many people that every day they wake up and say, you know, enough is not enough. We can actually move the needle um, forward in a really meaningful way. And you're, when you're starting this company, the reactions of people around you? Yeah, I mean, I think from survivors, we've always had, you know, really positive reactions because survivors understand, you know, what it's like to be sexually assaulted and what it's like to try to access resources and not be able to. And, you know, we've not always had the best responses from uh, every single party. Um, you know, mostly it comes out, you know, from a, a, you know, concern perspective for survivors. And I understand that. Um, but, you know, the one thing that I consider my North Star is building something that puts survivors first um, and not necessarily the institutions which have historically um, kind of been created to undermine survivors and their wishes. Mm, I, I see. And so two years going strong. What have you learned about this, not industry, but this space in, this, in, this, in these past two years? I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. Maybe things that surprised you that you didn't realize before. I wouldn't wish it upon anyone to do the job that I do. Um, it can be very difficult. Um, I think any, any founder can, you know, have a very difficult, you know, day-to-day -day life. But I, I think the things that I noticed is just, you know, the tiredness of it all. Maybe I'm saying that because it's a Monday and I'm already tired, but it can be a lot, right? Um, things can break and crises can happen and that can happen with any company. But when it happens to us, you know, we're not just talking about an email browser not working or like a project management software not loading. We're talking about a you know, person who's just gone through the most traumatic moment of their life, not being able to access resources. So I think the stakes are a lot higher. And wow. I think I didn't realize that when I first started the company is how high the stakes are. And I think that, that was something that I realized in building the company um, and, and working with my team members. It's just to understand that how, you know, big a mistake, um, you know, we can make an impact in such a, a crazy way versus any other company. And how did you grow, you know, whether personally, professionally, leadership through this experience of channeling 
you know, your personal trauma into something that is going to be helping potentially millions of people around the world? I, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is, you know, to never just stop with what you initially thought was possible. You know, when we talk about how we went from Me Too Kids to Lead a Health and what we all eventually expand to, I think in the very beginning, I thought it was only so big what I could build. I think, you know, I could only tackle this very small problem. And I think in, you know, continuously building the company, I realized that, no, you know, if you build enough amazing people behind you who have the expertise, you can build something huge that not only will just, you know, tackle sexual assault and, you know, will tackle major, major societal and cultural um, healthcare problems. Right. And so now if you're looking at sexual assault in the United States or the world, what, what are some things that could really move the needle that you're saying, wow, like the, the, you know, there's so much low hanging fruit here that, that we need to be, that we need to fix that. I can't believe it's not actually happening. Um, I think when I started the company, I thought what would move the needle forward is reporting. So I thought if more people reported, um, then that would move the needle on the conversation. But after two years of doing this work, I realized that reporting wasn't actually what moves the needle forward on this, you know, on the subject. I think what moves the needle forward is, you know, trying to understand what justice means and why um, every single sexual assault survivor is going to view justice in a completely different way. Um, because I think right now, um, Interesting. yeah, I think the industry in general believes that justice oftentimes can only be achieved through the penal corrective system, of which we've learned from, you know, countless healing circle groups, so support groups um, with sexual assault survivors that, um, you know, the penal corrective system is not what a lot of survivors want. All they want is accountability. Um, you know, they want accountability. They want someone to say that they're sorry. They want someone to say hey, what I did was wrong. And in fact, that I, I'm going to do better. Um, and I think that those are the things that, you know, will actually move the forward is more accountability um, from those folks that have, you know, caused harm, but not necessarily saying that that accountability has to come through the penal corrective system. Right. And by, by the way, in terms of in terms of trend, are we doing better as a society? Are we doing worse as a society? Um, I mean, statistically speaking, the stats haven't moved from like one in four, one in five, or, you know, 77% unreported or 90% unreported on colleges. So, you know, I would say that we're, we haven't really moved the needle yet, but, you know, as a, as a culture, I think we're, we're getting better at talking about it. I think the Me Too movement did a lot of work in terms of, you know, uh, bringing the conversation to the table. I don't think that was enough. Um, I think there's a lot more work that needs to be done. Um, and I, I'm really looking forward to Lita kind of being at the forefront of a lot of those discussions on how do we continue to move the needle forward and not just from the conversations that happened back in 2017 and 2018. Right. And that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, if you're thinking now, about a lot of people that are going through different traumatic events. And, you know, you, 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 we started the, the conversation with you mentioning how there's different ways of approaching it. You can decide to go to therapy. You can decide to close in. You, you can decide to go and try and, and try and try to do something outward. What, what, how are, if you had to look back and, and talk to yourself, whether it's after the traumatic event or, or when you're thinking of how to deal with it, what, what advice would you give your sort of younger self in retrospect? I think, um, I would have first told myself to um, 
if, if it wasn't me keeping the evidence of what had happened that night, giving someone else that evidence. So if in years to come, I wanted to look back on it, I could have, I think something that I regret every single day is, you know, having deleted photos, having deleted text messages, um, because it was, it was too traumatic for me to deal with. Um, and I wish that I would have given that to somebody, uh, so they could hold it on for safekeeping. So even five, 10 years later, I could have, you know, kind of looked at that and, and started that healing process. But I think the other thing that I would have wanted to tell my younger self is, uh, you know, it wasn't your fault, which I think is the first thing that you start to think about after um, an assault or any traumatic event is that I caused this. Um, and I think that that can be very harmful is to, you know, constantly as a society, tell ourselves that it is our fault for the way that we were treated, um, when in fact, it, it wasn't our fault. And so that I think has been like the biggest learning, um, you know, of myself and like a, a lot of other of our team members as well is that it wasn't our fault. Um, you know, what had happened to us. And I think that that's a really big, you know, thing to consider. Right. And so, you know, tangibly, you know, people go through these experiences, it's not always clear that they're able to sit down and, and reflect yeah. and say, okay, how can I, you know, make the most out of the situation and then go help other people. So what, what did you do that worked for you as you were trying to very also objectively think through how can I actually go and make a positive impact, even though this is a subject that is so, you know, that, that is so personal to me? I, I think just because I've decided to, you know, devote a lot of my life towards making a positive impact for my trauma, I think it's also very important, you know, to talk about the fact that it, it doesn't have to define you what had happened to you. And so, you know, every single day I tell my story about my sexual assault, you know, five to 10 times a day, that doesn't have to be a reality for every survivor. They don't have to turn that trauma into a business or turn it into volunteering or doing anything. Um, but, you know, I, I think it was something that I needed to do as a personal healing mechanism for me and as, you know, what I wanted to see as justice. And I think this goes back to, you know, what, how do we really move the needle forward? And I think it's, you know, coming to that realization of what does justice mean for you? And just because justice meant, you know, for me starting this company, doesn't mean that that's going to mean that for every survivor, probably not many survivors. Um, and just realizing that, you know, trying to find that North star and come to the realization of what do I need to move on and what do I need to begin healing is incredibly important. Wonderful. Madison, I really want to thank you for coming and for sharing with me, you know, your insights and your journey. I have just three short questions, uh, a little bit about you. And I want to take you back to your childhood. And what, what really fascinated you while you were a kid, whether it was a subject in school or a passion, what fascinated you really? Um, so I was really into entertainment. So I thought I wanted to be a dancer or a singer or an actress or you know, something in entertainment, that was my passion. Um, and every single day, I, I even went to a conservatory um, whenever I was like 15. Um, I went to a performing arts high school. So that was something that was, you know, I, I've been really passionate since the age of five. And I think it's actually really good for business. I highly recommend to folks, um, the best thing that they could possibly do is take an improv class. Because, you know, you're going to be in meetings with investors where they're going to ask you questions on the fly and they might be very difficult questions um, and you're going to have to figure out how to respond to those. And I think, you know, being an improv and being able to understand people's emotions, how to feed off of those emotions and answer questions, even when you're stressed, 
um, and under pressure um, with, you know, the you know, proverbial stage lights on you where you have to perform, I think is um, an incredibly good skill that I learned. Amazing. And, and where do you derive inspiration from today? Um, I think my team. So I think the most important thing that you can possibly do is build a team that every single day they inspire you to wake up and continue doing um, the work that you're doing. And as much as, you know, myself and my co-founder inspire each other to wake up every day and, and keep fighting this problem, I think it's my team who have all experienced trauma, who can see it working and can see us moving the needle that inspire me even on days where I feel tired and I don't want to get out of bed to know that there is, you know, folks basically waiting, right, to, to be inspired by me and to, to be led by me to continue building what we're building. Definitely. And three words that you would use to describe yourself. Um, sarcastic, um, um, ambitious, and I'll, I'll use the word that I feel right now, which is tired. So I, I think ambition and tired can go together because highly ambitious people can still, you know, be tired at what, you know, in, in the middle of the day, even though they've been pushing all morning. So definitely Madison, thank you very, very much. I really appreciate you taking the time to come and share your journey and best of luck with Lita health and stay safe. Thank and stay you so healthy. much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you.